If you remember, we left off <coughs> in verse 24. It talks about putting on the new self. So we're going to start at verse number 25 tonight. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, we're in verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry, and sin not. Boy, that's a loaded command, isn't it? Be angry, and sin not. You know the best way not to sin? Don't be angry. That's a great way to start. So I know it says be angry and sin not. Uh, the better way to do it is just don't be angry in the first place, and then you won't have to worry about the sin. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Number 27, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption, unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. <coughs> and be ye kind one to another, forgive, uh, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I want to talk tonight about the Christian lifestyle. We've talked about the putting off, the putting on. Tonight we'll go through and talk about some of the Christian lifestyle. What should the Christian life look like? Father, we ask you to use this tonight in the few moments we have together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Why, you look at this passage and you see some amazing, well, you see an amazing number of subjects taken. And, and by the way, I can almost promise you got a half an hour we're probably not going to get through everything but there's a lot here verse 25 putting away lying speak every man the truth by the way we, we had a, a great discipleship class tonight because there was only brilliant people in there right mary there's only the two of us so uh but uh, we had a great discipleship we we came across this verse you remember last week we asked the question when is a thief not a thief a thief is not doesn't stop becoming a thief who just stops stealing. That's not the way to, a thief doesn't become a thief. A thief is not a thief when he gives. That's what the Bible says. So a thief that just stops stealing is just a thief between jobs. But once he starts laboring and working and giving, then he's no longer a thief. Did you notice the same truth applies to lying? It says here, uh, we, we read, put away lying, that's stop lying. When does a liar not become a liar? When he stops lying? Not really. What it goes on and says, speak every man truth. So a liar stops being a liar when he starts telling the truth. A thief stops being a thief when he starts laboring and working and giving. This is a transformed life, you see. It's not just about putting off. Uh, that's uh, Some religions are about that, and some, I hate to say, even Baptist churches operate that way. It's only putting off. I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this. Meanwhile, they're spiteful, angry, bitter-filled, nasty to one another. Uh, there's no putting on. There's just a taking off. And so we need to be careful. It's a two-step process. I don't want to get into last week's message again, but this is a, a very important principle here. The, the whole issue of what honesty is and integrity and keeping your promises. Then in verse 26, he moves into the subject of anger and, the, uh, and reconciliation. If you're angry, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. 
do something about reconcile. What that's talking about is take care of it quickly. Don't let it fester. If you let anger fester, soon it turns into bitterness. So the whole subject of anger in verse 26, really we're talking about righteous anger versus sinful anger. Now, it says be angry and sin not. I don't know if you remember back this far, but uh, Dave Young preached a great message about that here out of this pulpit about this verse, be angry and sin not. His take on it was don't be angry. Uh, God can be angry and sin not. It takes a very mature Christian to be angry and sin not. Most of the time when we're angry, we end up sinning. We end up saying the wrong things, doing the wrong things, saying things that we don't mean. And so uh, we, we righteous anger and sin. But there is, a, there is such a thing as righteous anger. Obviously, we know God is angry frequently, yet he's without sin. So anger per se in and of itself is not wrong, but the way it operates in our lives usually is. So then it talks about stealing. You must not steal. You should rather work and give. You see the whole issue of labor talked about here in this passage. Uh, work. What is labor? Well, labor or work is how you make yourself useful to the human race. Mark Twain was pretty harsh about it. He said a man that refuses to work ought to be shot. Now, I don't know if that's how far... I mean, I wouldn't want to administer that punishment, but I kind of believe with his principle. In fact, God said much the same thing. He shouldn't eat. That's just a slower death than not be, than being shot. But a man that doesn't work shouldn't eat. Uh, we need to labor. We need to work. <clears throat> I don't have much respect for somebody that isn't willing to work. And uh, so this is what the Bible tells us here. It's, uh, it's also a way that Christians decide what kind of labor is Christian and what is not, how we're going to serve God. Now, it's probably easy and apparent I think we'd all agree, probably the best job for a Christian is not being a bartender at the bar. Could you agree with that? Uh, that's probably not the best job for a Christian. Uh, that's an easy one. But the real question is, are you making yourself useful in the work of God? Uh, and, and that's something that all of us ought to answer. Now, then you have the issue of giving to the needy in the end of verse 28. Uh, verse 29, suddenly we get into the area of communication, uh, the use of the tongue and relationships. Uh, it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Then in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness and wrath and anger. We're talking there about emotional self-control, which again has to do with the tongue. And then he talks about all forms of malice. And then it ends with the positive. Be kind, be compassionate, forgiving each other as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. This is an amazing number of areas Paul's touching on. This is a demanding list. We could spend a lot of time in our lives trying to master these areas. I don't know about you, but there's certain of these areas that I struggle with in my life and have struggled with even more. And so you look at this type of list, you say, how, do, how in the world do I tackle this? It's like a series of mountain ranges <coughs> where each of these verses drops principles for massive areas of our life. He defines work. He defines the difference between righteous and sinful anger. Stealing and giving, he talks about. Talks about working. Talks about the uh, attitudes uh, that we are supposed to have for others. He defines all these things and then outlines that as really the Christian lifestyle, the way that we ought to live. We see here how distinctive the Christian lifestyle is. But it's not an easy thing to tackle. I want to tie this in uh, to what Paul is saying here, to what we've already looked at. We talked last week in verse 22 that you put off the old man 
and then put on the new man. And remember, in between, sandwiched in between those verses was, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The first one is something you do, then it's something God does, and then it's something we do again. We do as much as we can, we allow him to be uh, renewing us in our mind. So then he moves into this section. So what's the relationship between what he just said and what he's saying now? Uh, what are the principles of the Christian lifestyle that we can draw from all these things that he says here? Before we look at each individual thing, let's just take a step back for a moment and ask the question, how does the Christian morality or the Christian expectation, the Christian lifestyle, how does that differ from other moralities? Don't forget, Paul uh, is talking to pagans. Uh, and he is, when you hear the word pagan, we have the tendency of saying, yeah, pagans, they have idolatry, they're, they're amoral people, they have no standards, they're just wicked. That's not necessarily true. Pagans have a lot of morality. Uh, the Greeks had a uh, kind of morality, Stoicism being an example. Stoics identified with four virtues in their everyday life, wisdom, courage, temperance, and justice. Pagans had morality. In fact, pagans still have morality. And Paul's talking to people from a pagan background. And of course, now there is, of course, a lot of debauchery among pagans as well, but there is also a certain morality. Today, if you look at Islam, which they're not Christians, uh, they are Confucius, uh, con followers of Confucius. Okay, that's a hard word to say. Asian ethics, even humanistic ethics. The, the, all these different pagan religions or belief systems, they have ethics. Virtually every ethic system will tell you not to lie. Most of them will tell you to control your anger. Almost all of them have beliefs about controlling your tongue and saying things that build people up. Most will tell you it's bad to steal, that you shouldn't murder one another. Uh, for example, the golden rule of Confucianism is do not unto others what you would not want others to do unto you. wonder where they got that. <laughs> why a lot of people say, uh, this is why a lot of people say that all religions are basically alike. Have you ever heard that before? How do you know you're right? Religions are all basically alike. Then we look at the basic principles of the Christian lifestyle. How do they differ from other areas, other kinds of morality? How do they differ from other ethnic or ethic, ethical systems that people hold to? Well, let's remember the context of this chapter. Uh, in verse 4 of, of this chapter, Paul begins in telling us how we are members of one body. Everything about us must be different. When we become a member of the church, we're not joining just the same way people would join a rotary club. I mean, this is a lifestyle. It's a part of your life. You're becoming part of Christ himself or part of his body. You're partaking in the divine nature. Verse 7, he talks about that. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Verse 4. Uh, so after talking about what it means to be a part of the church, Paul then in verse 17 says, Henceforth, or because of what I've just told you, Walk not as other Gentiles walk. Don't walk like the world walks. Don't act like it. Because you're united in Christ, because you are in his body, you are, this should affect every part of your life. It has to make a difference. You can't look like you used to look. You can't look like everyone else looks. Uh, then he makes this statement that we talked about last week. Put off the old self. Be renewed in your minds. Put on the new self. Paul is trying to show just what a profound change it is to become a Christian. It's not just saying, okay, I used to lie, but I'm a Christian now, so I don't lie anymore. 
I used to blow up, get angry, get, lose my temper, throw stuff and punch the wall. I don't do that anymore because I'm a Christian. It is that, but it's more than that. He, he's talking about the change is profound. It's a change from the inside out, not from the outside in. All religional ethic systems deal with the outside in, not the inside out. But God wants us to change our hearts. We talked about that this morning. That's why he, he lumps divorce and lust. He lumps them together. He says, uh, not divorce, I'm sorry, adultery and, uh, and lust he lumps together. So you have adultery, everybody would agree is wrong, but he says lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. We talked about that this morning. So there you have the heart being the important part. Here's where Christianity differs then from other kinds of morality. You do things because of who you are. There's an identity that you take on. This is the part that God does in verse 23, where he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Remember, that's a passive thing. You experience it. God makes you new. It's a transformation of personality as we put away the things of the world and we put on the things of the spiritual life. Last year, I read a book by James Clear, uh, Atomic Habits. In fact, I've given it out to several people in church because uh, I bought several copies after I read it. It's the only book other than the Bible that I read completely through and turned around and read it again. It was that good. It was just had so much, uh, so much good, good in it. And something he talked about in the book that speaks to this, I believe, he, he uses the example of a smoker who tries to quit. And there's two different responses. Pretend you're a smoker and you try to quit. Somebody offers you a cigarette. He said there's two responses. No, thank you. I don't smoke. That's good, right? And then a second response, no, thank you. I'm not a smoker. Now, he said the second one has a much more power, far more powerful effect in a person's life because what you're doing is you're putting a new identity on. You're not talking about something you don't do anymore. You're talking about something you aren't anymore, not the person you are not anymore. You've taken on a new identity. And so I was a smoker. Now I'm a non-smoker. And this is the idea here in this passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, when we come to Christ, we are a new creature. We have taken on a new identity. And Ephesians chapter 4 is all about embracing that new identity. What does it mean to put off the old self? Yeah, it's, it's putting away old behaviors. Uh, but to put off the old self really it means it's more than just actions. You're now living an examined life. It means every part of your life, you're examining and asking, does this please the Lord? Is this what Jesus wants in my life? And the world, or as he refers to here, Gentiles, don't live like that. And that's expected. He says, as believers, because of this, henceforth, don't do what the Gentiles do. Uh, you're living a different life. This glaring difference is seen in Galatians 1.10, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Putting off the old self is to change your mindset completely. You're not living for yourself anymore. You have a new identity. I have an adopted brother. Uh, my <clears throat> parents adopted two children. Uh, it was after I left the home. In fact, most of us are already out of the house and they adopted. We were so good as kids when we left. They couldn't stand it, and they adopted more. So uh, they uh, adopted two children, and my, my brother, his name is Austin. He came from a very rough background, 
And, but when he was adopted into our family, he got a new name. His name was now Austin Yoder. And uh, this changed everything. Now he was in a family that lived for God. He was in a family that had standards. He was in a family that had expectations. His present changed, but also his future changed. He had new opportunities and new prospects. When we're adopted into the family of God, chapter 1, verse 5 of Ephesians, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, now everything's different. Everything is different. So now when it comes to these areas that Paul's talking about here, a Christian can't uh, just look at his life and say, I do not do I do this because that's what my people do. And I've heard this, and you probably have too. I lose my temper, but my dad lost his temper. His dad lost his temper. That's just the person I am. That's just who I am. Or I uh, lie. I come from a long line of liars. Well, a Christian is lifted up out of that. We shouldn't live that way anymore because that's not who we are anymore. We have a new identity, and that's exciting. That means we don't have to live the way that we did before. I love to see when you have a long line of, say, alcoholism in a family, and somebody gets saved and they break that cycle. That's an exciting thing. You don't have to do what you were raised to do or in in the atmosphere you raised in. You have a new identity. That might be who you were. But that's why Paul says that you put off the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. That's not who you are. So to put off the old self is all about reorienting your whole life. Everything you do now is for a different purpose. Your motives are different. So morality says, even pagan morality, don't lie. Why can't I lie? Well, the boogeyman's going to get you or whatever reason they come up with. And every pagan or religious sect says, do things this way because we say so or just because it's right. But Christianity says, uh, you don't lie now because of who you are in Christ. It is a change from the inside out. You see, Jesus said he is the truth in John chapter 14, verse 6. And our identity is in him, the truth. We don't lie because of who we are. In other words, because of who you are now, you act this way. It, It should be sort of an organic thing for us. There's two sides. You're putting on the new self, and he's renewing you in the spirit of your mind. One of the ways this manifests itself in our life is reflected in our drive. What motivates us to do what we do for the average person? Work hard in school, uh, work towards their career, uh, get, get their degree. They seek success, but ultimately it's to be accepted by their peers Uh, They want to be seen as a winner in culture. They're seeking to feel good about themselves. They're seeking fulfillment in all the things that they do. But the Christian, see, we can be look at life differently because I don't need to take my identity from being a success professional. I, I I take my identity from who I am in Christ. I'm already accepted in the beloved. What an exciting thing that is. I don't have to go through life proving myself and putting my faith and heart's desire in things that aren't going to last anyway. What a blessing that is. Now, look at verse 24. Let me just point something out here. Verse 24, for the Christian, has to come before verse 25. Look at verse 24. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And then verse 25 talks about how This is manifested out, putting away lying, not being angry, neither give place to the devil, not stealing anymore. 
So if verse 24 doesn't come before verse 25 in your life, then you might be very moral. Maybe out of fear or out of expectation, you're doing all these things. But if you do an end run around verse 24, you've gotten to verse 25, but you never gotten to verse 24, uh, then this will be all drudgery. Uh, it's going to be in your own power. And it's not really going to be from the inside out. It's just going to be an act. Uh, as you put on the new self, I love the picture that we talked about last week was if we put off the old self, then God is renewing us in our minds, and then we put on our new self. It's all that, uh, that process, and as you do that, uh, God comes and he, he burns these things in. He's renewing your, the spirit of your mind, and uh, the more that you realize my identity is in Christ, I, I've already been accepted by him. It doesn't matter anymore. What, I obviously want to be success, success for the Lord, but worldly speaking, it doesn't matter if I don't have a bunch of uh, recognition in the world. I'm accepted in him. Your anxiety decreases. Your courage increases. Your defensiveness decreases. Your ability to take criticism increases, and so forth and so on. You're able to do so much more for the Lord because you're his child. You are sanctified. You're justified. You're adopted. We always tease my adopted brother and sister. Mom and dad had to take us. We showed up. They had no choice. I mean, what do you do? You can't be at the hospital and say, you know what? I don't like the looks of that baby. Um, I'll just, you know what, doc, I'll pass. What's the return policy on this? Can't do that. But when we're adopted, mom, dad chose you. And, and he chose us. And we're adopted into him. What a blessing that is. Talks about in verse 22 and 24 uh, about all these things that we're not supposed to do. And uh, I, I'm sorry, verse 22 through 24 is talking about uh, what happens in our heart when God is renewing us. And these that really has to happen in the Christian's life before we get into verse 25 and following. Uh, we're going to struggle with anger. We're going to go, we're going to do, deal with all of these different things. And, uh, but what a blessing it is when we have God's word working through us. We talked about that again this morning. Uh, the power of God's word working itself out through us. Christian morality is very different in its attitude toward the truth. Truth is never simply to be applauded. It is to be applied. I say it all the time. We learn the truth of Scripture, not only for knowledge, but for application. It seems incredible that Paul has to tell Christians not to lie, doesn't it? But he does. How easy it is when somebody asks us an awkward question not to take refuge in a lie. Uh, a, a, a lie on the lips of a Christian instantly grieves the Holy Spirit. And we need to remember that. Uh, he describes himself as the spirit of truth in John 15, 26. We're to discard all falsehood. The lie is the idiom of Satan's language. And we need not to be caught up in lying. He above all else, the Bible says, is the father of lies, John 8, 44. Zechariah wrote to that, uh, speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor in Zechariah 8.16. Paul's actually quoting him in verse 25 here. Zechariah was a post-exile prophet, and he's challenging the restored Jewish remnant not to repeat the sin that made their uh, exile necessary in the first place. Throughout chapter 8, Zechariah is reiterating the phrase, thus saith the Lord of hosts. One of the fundamentals for them to stay in the land was to speak the truth. 
How sad then that centuries later the Jewish people ended up hiring false witnesses against the Lord Jesus Christ himself. They paid for this sin when they were exiled for about 2,000 years uh, for that. And then righteousness in the Christian understanding is not simply a matter of external behavior, but our mind, our attitudes, and our motives. That's where the real difference comes in. As a, I was a very religious person before I got saved. Maybe some of you were too. And we did it. We held things to a strong, strong line. We didn't have wicked things in our home like indoor toilets and indoor plumbing. Amen. We were holy. We went outside in a shack. Right? That's real righteousness right there. Now, we, we had a lot of putting off and we had a lot of rules, but it's all external. And what, and there's no God coming in and renewing your mind. Can I tell you, it is ultimate misery living in religion like that. There's no fulfillment in it. We need to realize uh, that it is an internal work that he does. And then motives for your behavior come from humble gratitude, not from the pride of self-satisfaction. Right in the middle of all these rules about lying, all, by the way, all the other moral systems, don't lie, don't, uh, you know, don't cheat, control your temper, control your tongue, don't steal, work hard, give to the poor. <coughs> so right in the middle of all that, there's a weird one that doesn't fit. There's a verse here that just seems a little out of place. Look at with me at verse number 30. It's talking about don't be angry, don't give place to the devil, don't steal, don't be rude with your corrupt communication. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed into the day of redemption. Paul, pagan systems also tell us to don't lie, don't steal because of X, Y, Z, or because we say so, or because of the consequences of it. What Paul is saying, ultimately, is don't do these things because you'll grieve the friend who lives inside of you. You'll grieve the Holy Spirit. You, you, can I tell you, you only grieve over someone if you love them. You only grieve over someone if they're very dear to you. And when you sin, God is grieved. Let's not forget that. That ought to change our whole perspective on sin. Uh, let that dawn on you. That will transform your personality. That will turn you into a person who's not just a Christian, but who also lives like a Christian ought to live. Because all these things he's talking about, he just reminds us there in verse 30 to not grieve the Holy Spirit uh, of God wherein you're, whereby you're sealed into the day of redemption. If we let that fact sink in, after all he's done for us, and we're going to grieve him, we're much more able to tell the truth. We're much more liable to work instead of stealing. We're able to deal with our anger than one who just adheres to some basic system because that's what his religion tells him he has to do. You see the difference? If it's an outward demand, that's a lot harder than if it's an inward knowing that if I do these things, I grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I grieve the Lord. Put off the old self. Be made new. Put on the new self. You're accepted. You have a new identity. Don't grieve the one who's done all this for you. He loves you. And this is what ultimately drives us. Look at how the chapter ends then. Look at verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, 
forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Forgive, it says. And why? Because God forgave us. In gratitude for all that we've been forgiven for, forgive. Forgive others. I understand why God would want to forgive me, because I'm me, right? We get that. I'm, don't look at me like that. All of us feel that way to some extent. I mean, God, surely he forgave me, but that's expected because of what a gem he got when he got me. He was so lucky. And we don't want to forgive others? Well, the truth of the matter is, you know I jest. None of us deserve God's forgiveness. And yet he forgives over and over and over and over. He probably forgave many of us here just a minute ago when we bowed our heads and we said, Lord, I, was a, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have thought that. I, I shouldn't have done that. And he forgives. Confess your sins. I'll not only forgive you, but cleanse you. And we can't forgive others. What he does is he forgives us for mountains, and, and we can't forgive molehills. And that's a sad thing. So in gratitude for what all he's done for us, we ought to forgive. 